Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. (laughs) that's right you can take the designer out of the hills but you can't take the billy out of the hills right um i know i should we should probably i should probably redo that joke (laughs) now we'll leave it in we'll leave it in Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. A place where pop culture-loving creatives discover design icons that make us tick. And we share a few cocktails in the process. Yep. Everyone remembers their first time. Today, we take a stroll down memory lane to revisit a particular typeface and discuss how, no matter where we've seen it since, we are reminded of the moment when our eyes first met. So pop open a cold one, dust off that old type specimen book, and grab a stool next to us at the bar. Here we are. Once again, Elliot gathered around the virtual pub table. Yes. Looking around, you can say, hey, that person's just my type, right? But you mm-hmm. don't know. You don't know what you don't know what that person is because you're just kind of basing things on an impression that you have, right? An impression. Wait. Yeah. I think I might know where you're going here. All right. All right. Go. Go. Where are you going? Where are you going? Well, you know, um, type yeah impression yeah yes robin figure it out is it time to get the let out oh god i love i love that you're ragging that aren't you yeah well you know there's gonna be a photo finish at some point that you know exactly this is uh yeah you're uh i can't think of a kerning joke but obviously (laughs) we're talking about you know i've I've seen your work some of your kerning is a joke oh hey nerd alert nerd alert really i'll be here all week yes today what a great day we have we're gonna talk about something interesting with typography but not in the typical nerd sense are we elliot Speak for yourself. Okay. All right. No, no. We've got a good theme for today. I think so. All right. So what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about your first time, Elliot. You never forget it, do you? We're going to talk about the first time you saw a particular typeface an identifiable typeface let's say probably a display typeface because 
you know, you saw Helvetica the minute you were born. So let's talk about a display typeface. What do you remember seeing it on? Is that what you're here to talk about too, Elliot? Oh, geez. Okay, well, hold on. Let me, uh, I'm going to have to put away my Apple uh, package collection here. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, yes. I think uh, I can make that happen. I, I actually have in my back pocket here, I do happen to have a typeface that is near and dear to me. And Todd, I think you'll love it because my typeface involves a little bit of pseudo southern heritage oh okay um well let me see there's so many there it could be uh, a log typeface that you would use on your moonshine <laughs> business right or, yeah uh, yeah well you know me and my moonshine business that's right that's I, i'm right. never holding still Oh, man. Did you look up a book of puns before joining today? That's I wrote, awesome. I wrote the book of puns. Are you kidding me? All right. Well, and I've got one for you that's actually done by a legit type designer, but it had a minute. It had its minute in a really sort of high period of artistic expression in the 1960s and 70s. Mm. You it know is what? much maligned and loved <laughs> typeface. I can't. Okay. So we're going to kind of get into a little bit of a battle here because right. I would argue the type. Do, do you want me to tip my hand? Do you want me to uh, in, introduce my my ugly date for the evening? Yeah. So it sounds like we're we're going to we're trying to decide whose guest is more maligned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who who clears the room faster when they who show up? Who brought the stinkiest guest to the party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yes, go for it. All right, I'm going to toss my hat in the ring here. Um, so my uh, typeface is a, <laughs> I won't say near and dear to my heart <laughs> typeface, <laughs> but it's one that is of my childhood. You know what, Todd? I feel to reveal the typeface. I almost want to tell you what the show is that I first encountered it in. Because knowing you, knowing your pedigree, I think you will nail this as soon as I give you the title oh, of the show. No. Okay, all right. Come on, man. No. All right. Uh, that uh, much of a Southerner. Well, are you ready? Yeah, okay, go ahead. Dukes of Hazard. Know what it is? It's hobo typeface. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, you got me. All right. Good. 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 Yeah. Right. Yep. If if the, right, if so the designer wasn't going to get it, the hillbilly would. Well, you know, Elliot. While I may be an educated designer at my heart, I am still a tried and true Southerner. And as you know, being here in the South, people move down here all the time for the beauty. But moving here doesn't make you a Southerner any more than a cat having kittens in an oven makes them biscuits. Hmm. Or I would argue a show being set in Georgia actually being filmed in Southern California. <laughs> or you can take the bow out of the hoe, but you can't take the hoe out of the bow. Sure. All right. So, okay, we, we really strangled that pun. It surrendered. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about this. So you're going to tell me a little bit about um, 
the typeface hobo. I have no idea where it began. I have no idea of its origin. I certainly am more familiar with Dukes of Hazzard. So tie those (laughs) things together for me. You mentioned being an educated designer. I myself am also uh, an educated designer. Now, many people who uh, have either met us in person, listened to this podcast, or both may disagree with that last statement. But (laughs) I did not know until I started to look at type specimen books in college that hobo even had a lowercase alphabet <laughs> the only the only time i'd ever seen hobo was in the dukes of hazard and uh-huh. uh we will go ahead and post stills we'll go ahead and post uh i found the opening credits on youtube so we'll go ahead and post those because you know a few years ago they made a dukes of hazard movie but that was all slick that was all uppity that was not the dukes of hazard i grew up with todd that was not mm. the dukes of hazard you grew up with and hobo was nowhere to be found which was a profound disappointment what a crime that is well you know sometimes the original is the best yeah yeah so anyway i will post uh these credits and you guys will see when you look at these that there is no lowercase anywhere they just like made the uppercase smaller (laughs) when they wanted to (laughs) de-emphasize the other stuff but yeah hobo to me that was the dukes of hazard now In the past, you talked about KISS when we Mm -hmm, talked about mm -hmm. 1976 and the phenomenon of KISS. Mm -hmm. Now, around the time that you fell in love with KISS was right around the time the Dukes of Hazzard was on TV. Mm -hmm. For me, in my life, right? Mm -hmm. I was about the same age, 9, 10. So it started in 1979 when I was 6, ended in 1980. Five, so I would have been 12 or 13 years old. So the dual modern-day Robin Hoods, as they say, Todd. You know, yeah, these these yeah. guys were on the right side of the law, but just the law, a good old boy. yeah, but the yeah. law never never treated them with any respect. Just like Hobo doesn't get the respect I think it deserves, right? No, no, Hobo has no Uncle Jesse or Cooter. Heck to no, rely on. heck no. Certainly nothing as beautiful as Daisy. That's right. Daisy Daisy Dukes. You know, I bet people don't even know now that that term for those types of shorts originated with the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, it's uh well let's just say I think say, you should post pictures of that too. Well, let's just say it's it's good that I'm alone right now as we're recording this and we're talking okay. about right, Daisy. Good. At any rate, um, just to get back on track here, I got distracted for a minute uh, reliving my adolescence. Um, mm-hmm. Hobo. So Hobo came along long before the Duke Boys. It was designed by Morris Fuller Benton for American type founders back in 1910. And then five years later, there was a lighter weight. So, you know, display faces were used in all kinds of ads. And Hobo was kind of this quirky, woodcut-looking typeface. It just looked hand-carved. It was really Mm -hmm. strange. No straight lines in it. As I mentioned earlier, there was a lowercase alphabet that I was unaware of at the time. But you know what? It turns out it didn't even matter because they could have used the lowercase because even though they're lowercase characters, there are no descenders with the lowercase. Because it's a hobo, damn it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, you play by your own rules. You live your life the way you want to live it. Just a good old boy. That's right. So, Benton, if you guys don't know Hobo, I guarantee if you are a designer of any worth when it comes to your affection for typefaces, you will know some of this guy's greatest hits. We could be here for the next hour listing the things this guy has created, but I will narrow it down to four. 
Century Schoolbook, yeah. Bank Gothic, mm. Franklin Gothic, Ooh. and Garamon 3. Whoa. Yeah. The real deal. Yeah. Yeah. And Hobo. And, well, Hobo goes without saying. I mean, if I this guy probably typeset his whole resume in Hobo. I would. I would, too. Yeah, I would. The interesting thing that he did, in addition, of course, to really bringing the Dukes of Hazard out of the hollers and into the mainstream. You see what I did there? That was I my Southern. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Did, yeah. So, it didn't sound quite right with I you know, saying that, though. But I yeah. know. I apologize, then, I apologize to everybody. Good um, try, Biscuit. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> He pioneered the concept of typeface families in different sizes and weights while he was working as the chief type designer for American Type Foundry for 37 years. Other people had sort of done it sporadically over Mm -hmm. the years, but he was really the first one. It wasn't Adobe. It wasn't uh, House Industries apologizing to House and to Jonathan Heffler and Tobias Frere Jones and all these other folks who are... Uh, folk Fantastic heroes foundries. That, yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Boundaries. So, um, but this was the first guy to really crack that code. So, the big mystery here, though, is why the name Hobo? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, sure, it's this little sort of ramshackle typeface. You know, it's kind of uh, when you see it, you'll say, yeah, Hobo, that fits. Yeah. It turns out there are a few competing theories around this. And it's a mystery. No one truly knows the answer, as it turns out. Hmm. So the first theory is that it came from a story that it was sketched in the early 1900s, sent to the foundry nameless, like it just kind of, you know, hey, would you be interested in me creating this face for you? And it just hung around. No one was an advocate for it within the type foundry. Just sort of lingered. And it was called that old hobo. <laughs> you know, it was this this old kind of half-baked design that was always hanging around, kind of this albatross, right? So it was the hobo. It was the itinerant fellow, the gentleman of the road who would not go away. <laughs> then, <laughs> uh, you know, another idea, the typeface originally was not even called hobo. It was originally called adface believe it or not, which doesn't Mm -hmm. really roll off the tongue and doesn't sound nearly as fun as you can Mm -hmm. imagine that Mm -hmm. this hobo does. So it was finally patented in 1915. I mentioned there was a second version of the typeface called Light Hobo. So that's the hobo that um, doesn't get... has got his shit together. Yeah, well, I I would say he probably shits more often than his more heavy set friend, you know, if he's the light hobo. So, um, you know, he got a, he got a hold of a bag of Olestra chips or, you know, something. I'm not sure That's exactly. That's a separate story, my friend. Yeah, yeah, up. I'm sorry. I, my new nickname for you, Todd, is Light Hobo. Oh, okay, thanks. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> One of the theories here is the prevailing bow-legged shape of the letter forms. And again, if you look at this, you'll know, we'll post, obviously, reference to this on our website, but that the bow-legged shape of the letter forms inspired another theory that it was named because it looked like a hobo's bow legs, right? Yeah, you know, this yeah. guy tooling around town. But there really probably is a more benign, but I would argue equally uh, interesting um, theory. And that is Benton lived and worked near a large Russian community. And apparently there was a cigar poster that was advertising to this population. In this poster, there was a word that looked like hobo. So hobo, Mm -hmm. or a word very similar to it in Russian, means new. So, Hmm. you know, it's like, hey, there's this new cigar out there, hobo. And the reason that people tie this typeface and this name 
back to that poster in addition to that word is that apparently a letter O that was used in the poster almost exactly matches the O that later appeared in Hobo. And when I say almost matched, oh. like you could take a tracing of it, slap it on this original poster, and it matches. So it could very well be that, again, um, if you think about our underappreciated Unsung Logos podcast episode, you had this unsung hero that maybe put together a few of these characters and just went about his business, you know, finished his cigar poster project. Then Benton comes along, sees uh, this letter form, a spark fires, and he decides, hey, this could really go somewhere. And I really feel that this goes back to something, Todd, that you and I have repeatedly returned to in our episodes, which is that all designers are always standing on the shoulders of others, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mining pop culture, looking at the built environment, seeing things that are right at your fingertips. Um, and this is, in my opinion, just another example of that. Enough about me, enough about Hobo. Let's jump right. into your memory. All right. So did I don't think I caught. Did you tell me the date around when Hobo was uh, was developed? Uh, the lighter weight was released in 1915, but the original Hobo was 1910. So it's okay. oh, 110 yeah, okay. years yeah, old. I that. mean, this is uh, yeah, this is this is not a new typeface. But the good news is. It, uh, it was certainly around before 1979. <laughs> certainly That's true. Around, That's right. Yeah. Certainly around before the show that was second only in ratings to Dallas at one wow. point on CBS debut. Hey, nerds. I'm Sarah, the paper nerd. And if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Hi, while we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers. Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us. Wait... We do want people to visit, right? Well... Oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well. And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling... Tell him or her what we're up to. While we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to. <laughs> That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us. In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done? We're done. We're done. All 
Okay, so both of our dates with good personalities that we're bringing to the bar tonight. Yes. They share some similarities. Um, mm. Both were born around that time period. Back in 1910. You know, Todd, without going any further, I think this proves we both like older women. <laughs> so we, I never did let on the exact typeface that I'm talking about, but I did tell you it was designed by a pretty famous type designer out of Chicago. Um, the band Chicago? N no, oh. not exactly, not exactly. It was released in, uh, there's, there's a little bit of discrepancy in the times, but let's just say 1919, 1920, 1922, mm -hmm. uh, it was drawn, it was a version of another typeface I love it. I adore Cooper Black. Of course. If you look up ironic in the designer's fancy dictionary, you would see that it's written in Cooper Black because people love it or don't love it. It has been used in some incredibly sublime uses and then some really janky ones too. <laughs> um, but let me, let me tell you a little bit about how I was exposed to this. First of all, yes. So back, I don't know, probably it was in the 70s, sometime late 70s, my parents bought me these giant cork letters so I could pin stuff to them on my wall. And they happened to be letters in Cooper Black, which is cool. I didn't know that, right? I had no idea that there were even these styles of typefaces. I just was happy enough that I could recognize the letter C in one of them. So, um, <laughs> I realized at the time that that was the same type style as some titles to some of their records. Again, this was sort of the 70s. Things like the Beach Boys, Pet Sounds, Neil Diamond's Greatest Hits, you know, some Simon and Garfunkel there. So I started kind of connecting these things here, which I thought was kind of cool. I noticed that it matched those letters on the albums. And also one of my personal favorites, the packaging for sea monkeys too. Oh um, yeah, love I, that. I yeah, and speaking of TV shows, different strokes. Yes. Um, so Cooper Black for me, it represented this range of awesome. Everything from pet sounds to some of my pet sea monkeys. <laughs> and I could draw it. Here's what's cool about that. So as I said, it was designed by Oswald Bruce Cooper and it was released by the Barnhart Brothers and Spindler Type Foundry in 1922. And it was designed as an extra bold weight of Cooper's old style, Cooper old style family. And, you know, it was fine. It kind of bumped along. It's fat, it's chunky. It's known for these sort of rounded bottoms, these curved bottoms that were forgiving if you had sort of bad type setting so the baseline didn't always have to line up. It, it sort of still worked because there were no flat edges on the bottom. Now, flash forward and technology advancements, movable type, photo type started kind of getting, uh, getting to be a thing in the late 50s. And it allowed us to start squeezing letters together uh, even more tightly. To, so the kerning would become even super tight and 
Oz Cooper thought that that's where Cooper Black looked its best was when it was like jammed together in tight letter spacing and tight kerning. But phototype, obviously, of that period was starting to allow us to do those kind of things, which was cool. It's giving us some more freedom. So are, let's, oh, let's for some of the listeners, let's define maybe what phototype is just super duper quickly and why now there's this freedom that wasn't there before. Okay, so up until then, letters had to be created either in wood in the early stages or in metal type, and you had to set every letter of every word using individual pieces of metal um, or, or wood back in the day. And because they were, uh, they were real blocks, they were real chunks, they couldn't get but so close together. So with the technological advent of phototype, we could then um, squish the letters, tighten, more tightly kern them um, better together. Because they were on film at that point, it was a film positive right. or film negative. So the only thing was light had to pass through it so you could layer things on top of each other, right? Right, right. But the real kind of interesting thing that happened here at the crossroads of sort of the mid-1960s was what you and I know as the start of the desktop revolution. Um, this giant step forward happened in the 60s when software became available, which allowed different typefaces to be available, and users, typesetters, operators were working on CRT screens, which gave the typesetter even more freedom to express themselves with, uh, with different typefaces. So no doubt, Hobo was kicking it back then as well. Mm -hmm. And Cooper Black became a great representation of the time because it was fat, it was chunky, it got attention, right? Mm -hmm. This happened to also coincide with the explosion of expression that happened in the 1960s and 70s. So think about things like band flyers or protest signs, and as I said before, album covers. So many album covers at that time were set with Cooper Black. It became a sign of the times. It became identifiable as part of that generation, part of that artistic expression. It's so funny that you mention this because when I was doing some of my research for this episode, I found a lot of flyers and book covers and things like that they were actually set in both Cooper Black and Hobo. Apparently wow. these, these guys have been roommates for a long time. Yeah, apparently that's like some kind of unholy duo, right? Or superhero duos, I guess. Uh, yeah, it, we don't know if it's uh, whatever, Thor and Loki, or if it's more like the Wonder Twins. That's right. Okay, so let me talk about my impression of it. Um, obviously it was kind of everywhere at a period of time, and it's so part of the culture. But again, a thing that was really an important use of it was Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. And everybody knows this record. It was released in 1966, May 16, 1966, which was about a year after Brian Wilson had decided to stop touring with the band. He was having some, air quotes, issues. So decided for the band to go out on tour he would stay holed up in the studio and make masterpieces. So this freedom from touring allowed him to really get into the studio, use the studio for artistic expression. 
he could record endlessly, he could twiddle knobs endlessly. The great thing, I mentioned sort of the technology advances of photo typesetting, but also recording technology was also advancing at a rapid rate. Now, the third part of this intersection, of this crossroads, if you will, was drug use. So, <laughs> so around the mid-60s, obviously, drug use was becoming more apparent. LSD and marijuana, certainly with recording artists, and Brian Wilson was no different. Todd, you know, I actually saw a documentary about um, Brian Wilson during this time when mm -hmm. he was sort of separating from the band. And from um, what I recall, he actually had this. This was there were some mental issues happening. I mean, and, yeah, and not yeah. even not even trying to sound funny by saying no, that he, right. he was starting to get sick. And if I remember one of the symptoms when he or other people started knowing things were going wrong, and I think this goes to the drug use, the idea of self-medicating, mm -hmm. was uh, during this time when he was in the studio and playing music, wasn't he having auditory hallucinations? Yes, yes. I mean, why else would you use a theremin on a record, right, Elliot? Well, if a UFO is landing, you use a theremin. <laughs> good point, good point. Now I know how I can break out my theremin. Clearly, yes, um, he had had uh, some issues which had kept him from touring and allowed him to really focus on making music that broke new ground. So then Pet Sounds was released of the time, as I said, in 1966, and it's widely known that Pet Sounds influenced the Beatles to create Sgt. Pepper. They, they so, actually, there was an arms race, for those of you who don't know, between the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Yes, yeah, so... If you think about it, like that period, Pet Sounds followed by Sgt. Pepper, which was the reaction from the Beatles, that was sort of the big bang of pop culture. That represents the 1960s. And we can say Cooper Black was there to tell us about it. Oh, you know, I will also give you another example from my childhood that is still on the air today. Ooh. Yeah, all these years later, and Todd, I'm about to give you a hint. Are you ready? Okay, yep. okay. okay. Yep. Close your close your eyes. Okay, eyes Imagine closed. you're like 15 years old and you're sitting in front of the television. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. <laughs> three. No. Yes. That's what Cooper Black tastes like. Tootsie Pops. Yes, 100% it tastes like Tootsie Pops. That's Are right. you kidding me? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and I'm going to ask you the same question. Like, when I think of Cooper Black, uh, now, obviously, I taste Tootsie Pops or Tootsie Rolls. I see in-your-face advertising. I see TV shows like M.A.S.H. or Bob Newhart, and I hear the sounds of a clavinet. <laughs> or a theremin, right? Yes, or, me, or both. I mean, how both. amazing a would that be? A playing, playing a theremin. So what does hobo taste like, Elliot? Ooh. Corn pone? Corn pone and salt. <laughs> <laughs> what sound does hobo make, Elliot? Hobo, the voice of hobo is Waylon Jennings. Just a good old boy. The yeah. balladeer, man, the guy yeah. who narrated all of the episodes of the Dukes of Hazard, along 
with singing his theme song for That's it. That's right. So, okay, so what lasting impressions do you have from Hobo and the Dukes of Hazard? Oh, man. Um, well, first of all, uh, I don't think a card in the General Lee with a giant rebel battle flag could probably be on television today. Don't but, think it would pass standards and you know, practices pass, today. Pass muster. But no. 30 years ago, I had the whole Ertl, I imagine that's how you would pronounce that company's name. I had all of the Matchbox cars. I no. had. I read that um, there were 12 General Lees on the original show. Yeah. Um, you know, because they were all getting smashed up all the time with all the stunts. I wanted to be a stunt car driver when I was little, when I wasn't going to be an NFL quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to totally be the guy who got paid to jump an orange car over a river, over police cars, over the bad guys from the big city of Atlanta. You know, whatever it took, man, I was all about that. So I had several General Lee models that wow. I would put together and then I would, you know, smash them up because they got smashed up on the show. But I, to me, to this day, probably, I'm not suggesting I get Hobo as the uh, typeface on my tombstone. Mm -hmm. But if, like, the last thing I look at is Hobo, it will still remind me of the Dukes of Hazard. It just, that is that typeface to me. Because even though you're from the Midwest, Elliot, you're just a good old boy. I, I'm not giving, you know, I'm not harming anybody. No, no, you're just a good old boy. I'm, I'm misunderstood. You're, you're rounding, rounding the curves, aren't you? I'm straightening, straightening the, the hills. No, straightening <laughs> the curves. Sorry. Flattening the hills. Come Flattening on, the man. Hills. I know. Sorry. Todd, it's, it's official. Turn your card in. You're know, no longer I a turn Southerner. My card in. I know. I can still name the actors, though. Tom yeah. Snyder. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tom, yeah, John Schneider, uh, Tom Wapat, Catherine Schneider, Bach, Tom Wapat, and uh, Denver Pyle. Love Denver Pyle. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Love Denver Pyle. And who played Roscoe? Oh man, I can't think of his name. But, <laughs> but both Denver Pyle and the uh, the character that played Roscoe were on Andy Griffith. Oh yeah, yeah. And so. uh, and what was Roscoe's dog? The name of his dog? Uh, oh. Okay, man. you ready for my impression? Yeah, go ahead. Go, Flash! That was awesome. I closed my eyes and I thought Roscoe was here. Now, there was a cooter in the show, too, right? Yeah, he was the mechanic. Yeah, yeah. And Catherine Bach. Yeah, they were. Well, you know what? I'm going to leave that alone because the 14 listeners we do have. I yeah. at least want to still have twelve listeners when this episode's over. That's right. I may have lost may have lost some there. Sorry about that. So, uh, Todd, you know what are your we we joke about Tootsie Roll and some of these other things. What other, if any, lasting impressions do you have about Cooper Black? So, you know, if it were like a, a flashcard and I just uh, that cork C, like if I just had a giant uppercase C of Cooper Black, and I flashed that in front of you real quick, what would be the first thing to pop into your head? So clearly it was of the time, right? Um, it's used now, ironically, if we want to be more retro, but from sort of the 60s and 70s, it definitely represented artistic technology and civil advancement. And to me, like Cooper Black was both the cause and the result of that. As I said before, it represents kind of those things all coming together. And it was that 
it was in your face. It was, it's actually, and we're going to post this link too on the website. There's a great video by Vox called that font is everywhere. It's actually pretty well designed. Um, although it, it certainly has a, it has its minutes. Um, but it's certainly well designed, bold, fat in your face. Great for advertising. So I will always remember it as being adventurous, as being bold, um, as sort of opening the doors um, to artistic expression and uh, really kind of yelling at me a little bit with the sound of a theremin and a clavinet. Jeez, I guess I win the Low Culture Award this week because it just reminds me of a TV show. <laughs> you know, my typeface. <laughs> I, uh, so so you, you win this round, Todd Coates. But I'll All be right. back. I will um, be back. One of us always has to be lowbrow. One has to be highbrow. I really thought, you know, with these two tight faces today, we both were going to drive through the neighborhood of highbrow. Or excuse me, lowbrow. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if we both drove through the neighborhood of highbrow at the same time, everybody would look out their windows and know something's up. That's right. They would be moving out of the neighborhood. And then you, know, right. you know who'd be following us? Who? Roscoe. well todd it was a pleasure as always i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, i can't wait to do this again absolutely thanks elliot thanks to our 12 listeners out there uh tell a friend if you want to really make them uh, like a lifelong friend about us no i would say get a tattoo of one of your initials in cooper black and the other initial in hobo oh yeah yeah and and then and then And then on your body, those two typefaces are now lifelong friends. Ah, just a good old boy. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading! Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show, or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.